The following Dharma talk was given for the Insight Meditation Community of Charlottesville, Virginia. Please visit our website at imeditation.org. So tonight, um, I want to talk about the central feature of being alive uh, in this creation, and that is the fact that everything seems to be impermanent. I mean, you get born here, and then it's nothing but this kind of swirling, all-encompassing change, on and on and on and on. And sometimes it can be, like, totally exhilarating, sometimes frightening, sometimes exhausting. And sometimes when there's change, it just it brings relief. It can spark sadness, happiness. It can push us to resist, to grasp. And it's obvious on so many levels. You know, mundane changes every day. The weather, you know. More complex changes like the conditions in our lives changing in so many ways relationships, our aging, and finally our death. Uh, one of my uh, favorite poets, and one of the poems I really like, <clears throat> it's Billy Collins, and it's called The Parade. How exhilarating it was to march along the great boulevards in the sun flash of trumpets and under all the waving flags the flag of ambition, the flag of love. So many of us streaming along, all of humanity really, moving in perfect step, yet each lost in the room of a private dream. How stimulating the scenery of the world. The rows of roadside trees, the huge curtain of the sky, how endless it seemed until we veered off the broad turnpike into a pasture of high grass headed toward the dizzying cliffs of mortality. Generation after generation, we keep shouldering forward until we step off the lip into space. And I should not have to remind you that little time is given here to rest on the wayside bench to stop and bend to the wildflowers, or to study a bird on a branch. Not when the young are always shoving from behind. Not when the old keep tugging us forward, pulling on our arms with all their feeble strength. So generation after generation, we keep shouldering forward until we step off into space. Uh, just two days ago, the mother of my partner, Latifa, passed away after a long decline of Alzheimer's. Uh, I recently learned that people who study it and know it from the inside call it the long goodbye. And her mother, Phyllis, had uh, 
she'd been moving through those changes of that disease for a couple of decades. It was a very difficult journey. But the whole family gathered at the bedside these last uh, last few days, and it was really became a sacred, a sacred space. And after she passed on uh, Sunday evening, um, uh, Phyllis's daughters uh, and grandchildren kind of gathered together and were reflecting about their mother and grandmother and the events of the few days that it, that had happened, you know, and about her, the dying process and, and the feelings they were having. And one, one grandchild uh, commented that his grand, grandmother's passing brought home the stark reality that he's now an adult. You know. It was a little disconcerting to him that he'd kind of moved up in the line. You know, it's like both his grandparents are now gone. Generation after genera- generation, we keep shouldering forward until we step off the lip into space. How many of you are old enough or have had the experience enough, you don't have to be old, to have had both parents pass away? you might be able to remember some of those feelings like the same as Phyllis's grandson. You know, you're just moving, moving closer. It's a natural change. It's the way things roll here on this planet. And sometimes it, that, it gets out of order and someone young dies and that's more of a tragedy. We like, we like it to be in a more natural order. And somehow there is a kind of loose chronological order most of the time. The older go first. Anicca Vata Sankara. Upadeva Ya Damino. Upajitva Nirjanti. Tesum Yupasamo. Suko. All conditioned things pass away. They arise and then they pass. Understanding this deeply brings the deepest happiness, which is peace. That's a Buddhist chant that it's it's considered a kind of an evening chant, kind of ending the day. Um, and it's also a, a chant that's posted and, and then chanted at funerals. Just a reminder to the living. It's one of my favorites and, and when I meditate in the morning it's always, I'm always saying it silently before I kind of roll into my, into my meditation. In fact, one way to look at this whole practice or Buddhism is that it could be seen as just one extended, one extended meditation on impermanence as the path to freedom. One extended meditation on 
impermanence as a path to freedom. On the, on the Buddha's deathbed, his parting advice was all conditioned things are impermanent. Strive on with diligence. I mean, the guy was a true educator to the end, really. He could have said a lot of other things. But he wanted to remind people of this pith teaching to very core and to point his students to understanding more deeply the very nature of nature. You know, it's a clear reminder of impermanence, that foundational truth uh, of nature. That's what he chose to say as he was moving on. And the part about striving on with diligence it's really just to remind you that it's more than just an intellectual understanding. We all get that, you know. But it requires appropriate effort and practice to really internalize this anicca, and that's the Pali word for impermanence. I mean, every religion that I know something about uh, offers some way to grapple with impermanence and suffering because it's a it's just a, a core reflection or concern for everybody really and so all religions are trying to uh, address it um, and and some religions um, um, might equate just being alive here in this particular creation with suffering, this impermanent kind of situation that we're in, and that that solution is to transcend this world. And oftentimes that could be, you know, that transcendence could manifest at death, and if your behavior was virtuous, then you would, you would move to a heaven, okay? And of course that may very well be the case. The Buddha had a little different tact on this. And he said that, look, look, suffering is not inherent. Just because things are changing doesn't mean that uh, there has to be suffering. You know, okay, this is a place where everything is moving and pretty fleeting. But his major teaching was that the suffering arises when there's clinging. When you desperately try to hold on to something you like, you suffer because it just isn't set up like that. Everything's changing. It's like holding on to a rope that's moving really fast through your hands. You get rope burn because you can't stop it. You know? On the flip side, the Buddha also spent a lot of time talking about and discussing that you suffer if that any time you experience something unpleasant, you thrash around trying to, to push that unpleasant thing away. I mean, that can be exhausting. You know, there's no balance there. Ooh, you know, it's kind of... And we all find ourselves at times, things are unpleasant, we get all squirmy and whiny because there's a little unpleasantness going on. Um, 
made me think about a, a little piece that Louis C.K. used to do, the now discredited Louis C.K. for good reason. But he, he has a, a way of pointing to the human kind of foible in this business about not being able to handle anything unpleasant. And he had this one shtick where, you know, um, about air travel, okay? And, you, you know, you're asking somebody, well, what would, you're always asking, what was your flight like? You know, what was your flight like from New York to L.A.? And somebody would say, oh, it was just terrible. It was the most miserable, horrible thing. We were stuck on the, on the tarmac. It might have been like 40 minutes. We were, the plane just didn't move. We were just stuck. And he goes, well, come on. It wasn't that long ago that you were traveling by wagon train and you could freeze to death or you could be killed and half the people who started out never got there and it took months and you're upset because you're, you're sitting there. You know, come on. You're, you're flying in the sky in a chair. You know, you're like a god. You know, and 40 minutes on the tarmac is an issue? Come on. That's, that's working with unpleasantness. So the Buddha saw that if there, if there is a reduction in this kind of grasping onto things that are pleasurable and this thrashing around trying to push away every little unpleasantness, if, there's, if we can reduce that in our nervous system, there's going to be just less and less suffering. That's just the way it, the way it goes. It, the, the changing nature of things is no longer a bother. It just, that's the deal. Now, his solution that he discovered through his own very intensive practice and that he harped on in his 45 years of teaching was that, okay, we need to put just a little, apply a little of our intelligence, a little effort and practice into reducing this clinging, understanding it more and then finding ways to just ease up, you know. And that, that, that greater ease and freedom and happiness, we don't necessarily have to wait for the hereafter, you know? So, and what remains special, I think, about the Buddha's uh, teaching, his pedagogy, is that he developed these kind of um, uh, very user-friendly practical methods to, uh, uh, that we can re-engineer our nervous system and our brains with. You know, back then, it wasn't spoken that that's what's happening, but now all the research, uh, the brain research, is, is kind of bearing that out. But it requires a cultivation of mindfulness, noticing, you know, what you're clinging to. And to simultaneously remember and notice that whatever you're grasping at or holding on to is changing. It's temporary. And if you can notice that, then you'll start to kind of feel into the futility of thinking you're going to find lasting happiness by trying to nail everything down because it's all moving. 
a teacher I had that I studied with during the walking meditation part. And on retreats, there's generally sitting and walking, sitting and walking. Uh, for a couple days, the instruction was, well, go out on your walking meditation. I want you to think about and come back with something that's permanent. Just exercise your mind and come up with something that's permanent. Well, the mountains, well, not so much. They erode over time, they change, etc. Well, the body, certainly not. When I look in the mirror, boy, that's not what I was seeing when I was 18 years old, I'll tell you. What about emotions? They're changing all the time. What about thoughts? How many have you had today? You know, you can't even count them. And what about the soul? That's an interesting question. What is the soul? Where is it? Where is it when we don't think about it? You know? Um, so, exploring in a light way. Well, what's permanent? I got born here. What's permanent here? You know? This from uh, Robert Aiken, a Zen master. We desire permanent existence of ourselves and for our loved ones. And we desire to prove ourselves independent of others and superior to them. These desires conflict with the way things are. Nothing abides and everything and everyone depends upon everything and everyone else. This conflict causes our anguish and we project this anguish on those we meet. Yeah, so that's, it's all moving. And science kind of bears this out. You look out into space, it's all movement. You know, we're on this little blue planet, a lot of water on it, spinning around at like 11,000 miles an hour. It's moving in our little solar system at 70,000 miles an hour. The whole little our little star and solar systems cruising through space at a million miles an hour. In our Milky Way galaxy, then on a clear night, if you're in a space without light, you look up and you can see it. All those billions and billions of stars, just one galaxy. You know, the whole Milky Way galaxy spinning and moving at a million miles an hour. And there's billions of these galaxies. And, and they're moving towards something that astronomers are calling the great attractor. Who knows? But here we are, you know. And you go the other direction to the subatomic world and it gets just as strange. Just even at the atomic level. An electron spinning around the neutron and the proton. You know, if you had something the size of a pea, if the, if the, if the neutron and proton the nucleus was the size of a pea. The electron would be uh, about a quarter mile away and the size of a, a speck of dust spinning around. There's a lot of space. And if you go even further into the subatomic world, they're finding that things are coming in to being and disappearing in nanoseconds by the millions. And what we're left with is vibrating space. Our eyes aren't too good. We, we can't... We can't see like an electron microscope and we can't see into the heavens. But it's, that's the deal. So, if we begin to look more and more for change on every level, 
the organism gets sensitized to it at a deeper level, more, more cellular level. And there can actually be comfort and refuge in the fact that everything changes. And so part of this practice, we're sitting, we're meditating, we're, we're watching it all change, is just sensitizing ourselves to the movement of everything. And it will incline us not to grab so tightly. I want to end with uh, us uh, with a short reflection. It's a little reflection on impermanence. So kind of assume your meditation position again for a few moments. Kind of find your breath, find your aliveness, find your energy. And just begin by observing your breathing. How that's impermanent. Each breath is a little different than the one before it and the one after it. One might be a little deeper, a little shallower. And with each breath, you're taking in different air. It's new. And your body is changing with each breath. Different sensations around the nose and in the nostrils. Your lungs expand contract your belly rises and falls movement change flux flow now reflect for a moment on the other changes that are going on in your body think about how your body's made of all these various systems and parts Got your arms, your legs, your head, your skin. The circulatory system, the blood moving, the bones, the nerves, the muscles. And all those parts, all those visible parts are made of even smaller parts, cells. See if it's possible to become aware of the movement that's going on in this miracle that's your body. Maybe the beating of your heart or the flow of the blood if you can feel it. The energy of your nerve impulses. And on that deeper subatomic level, Cells are being born. They're moving about. They're dying. They're disintegrating. The molecules, the subatomic particles, constant motion. See if it's possible for just a moment to have a direct experience of this movement and change 
Sometimes people describe it as like champagne bubbles. Now turn your attention to this mind, this amazing mind. And it's got many parts too. Thoughts, perceptions, ideas, feelings, memories, images. One after the other, after the other, after the other. Spend a few moments now just observing that ever-changing flow of experiences in your mind. Kind of like you're looking out a window onto a busy street and there's all the traffic and pedestrians. Don't cling to anything that's arising in the mind. Just notice all this activity. Don't try to judge it or make comments. Just images, thoughts, feelings. Impermanent, ever-changing mind. And now extend that awareness for a few moments to the outer world. Think about your immediate surroundings, this room, the chair, the cushion you're sitting on, the floor, the walls, the windows, the ceiling, the furniture, the other objects in the room. And all the people here. That all of them, although they, they appear solid and static, is actually a mass of tiny particles whizzing around in space. Just stay with that for a moment. And then let your awareness extend beyond this room. You know, everything, trees, other people, the sidewalk, all changing, those minute particles coming and going, animals, birds, insects, everything. Mountains, oceans, rivers. Nothing stays the same. Everything is in motion. And as you consider this, if in a moment you feel that direct experience of movement in the body or outside you. Just notice that. So if you choose this meditation 
on your own. And the mind will wander and it'll start thinking, etc. That's fine. Just start contemplating the impermanent nature of that mind. And from time to time, there will be that direct experience of, oh my gosh, this is all just kind of bubbling change in and out. So it is futile to really try to cling to things as if they were static, solid, and separate. Everything comes and goes. Whatever is pleasant will change and whatever is unpleasant will change. Anita, anicca, vata, sankara. Upadeva yadamino. Upajitva nirjanti. Tesan vupasamo sukho. All conditioned things are impermanent. They arise and pass away. Understanding this deeply brings the greatest happiness, which is peace. Thank you for your attention.